It is good to be with y'all today. I missed you. It's good to be back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tell you what we're doing today. We're going to do uh, one standalone sermon in Matthew. So if you want to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 35, and we'll be there in just a second. Um, going to see if I can still do this preaching thing. I'm not sure. It's been a while. Um, in a minute, we'll get to Matthew 9, 35. Starting next week, I'm going to be doing a, a three-week series, be preaching all three. I'm going to do a three-week series on generosity. Felt led to do that. Um, I, I, uh, I preached it, gosh, long time ago, 12, 13 years ago at my previous church. I don't think I ever one time through the whole series talk about giving to a church. I, I just teach through what Jesus says about money and the power it has to impact our lives and hearts. And I remember that of my 18 years at my previous church, I got more nasty emails, and when I say nasty, I mean mean. I got more mean emails on that series than any other I ever got in the 18 years of being a pastor there. So I've decided that over the next three weeks, I'm gonna turn my email off. And so if you guys wanna email me, that's fine, you can, but I will not see it. All right, there is a quote um, that I wanna read you this morning by A.W. Tozer, and I'm gonna share it with you guys. Let me read it to you. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want you to read that for a second. Go ahead and read it yourselves. <clears throat> what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I have heard that quote spoken by preachers for years, and I have a, I have a confession is that for years I had absolutely no idea what it meant. I would hear some preacher say that quote and I'd go, mm, mm, that's good. I have no idea what it meant. <clears throat> and so as I've gotten older and the longer I've lived, the more it's starting to make sense to me. And so let me explain to you what I think it means. Is that when you think about what God is like, just in your own brain and mind, when you think about God, when you think about what he's like, what first comes to your mind? Right? What first comes to your mind? When you think about God, do you primarily think of him as angry? You think about God, when you think about him, do you think about that he's joyful? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? Do you think he's apathetic? Right? Um, what that quote means is that when you think about God, that what you think about when you think about him and his character and nature, that's going to impact every single part of your life. Okay, think about it. For example, if you think that God is, is, when you think about God, you primarily view him as Santa Claus. It just rolls in and gives everybody gifts and then rolls out. That's gonna impact how you engage God. If you primarily think about God as angry, you know, that he's angry and vengeful, that is going to impact how you relate to him. If you primarily think about God as uh, disinterested, you know, he doesn't care about you. That's going to impact how you relate to him. Now, here's the thing. It's vitally important. It's vitally important that we, when we think about God, that we think about him rightly. Y'all with me? That we think about him biblically. Because too many of us are walking around with this view of God in our mind that we've created, but it's not really who he is. And so we need to understand who our God is so that when we think about him, we'll think about him rightly. 
And that is the, one of the most beautiful things about the fact that Jesus Christ came to us. Because when Jesus came, one of the things the scripture teaches us is that he's God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. And so when you, when you heard Jesus talk, you were hearing the voice of God. When you saw Jesus' actions, you were seeing the actions of God. And so church, the best way to know what you're supposed to think about when you think about God is to study the life of Jesus. Amen? All right. And that's one of the things I really love about our text today in Matthew 9, because we're going to see this story. You've probably heard it before many times. Jesus sees this group of people, the Israelites, God's people, and he realizes in that moment that they're struggling. They're hurting. They're in pain. They're suffering. That people were taking advantage of them. Now, everybody hear this. Check this out. And when Jesus sees their pain, it's going to produce in him compassion. You're going to see him be moved deeply to compassion. Like when he saw God's people's pain, it really bothered him. All right? And that's why I love this story. Because as a guy, as someone, me, that often struggles with falling into the camp of thinking about God as being angry with me sometimes, or I often think about God as disinterested in me sometimes. I think about that. What this story teaches me about God is that God is not just a, a God of power and might, which he is, but he's also a God of compassion. He's also a God of compassion, all right? And so with today's message, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna walk through six times that we see the same phrase made that Jesus was moved to compassion. There's actually 10 times in the scripture you see it. I'm just gonna look quickly at six with the goal that you and I can have a really accurate picture of who our God is. And so that when you think about him and I think about him, we'll think about him rightly. But then at the end of it, we're gonna see that we're not just supposed to think about him rightly, but that we're supposed to display him rightly to the world. Okay, that's the point of the message today. So let's read this together, Matthew 9, 35. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Watch what it says next. It says, and healing every disease and every affliction. All right, now, let me ask you a question. Don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of y'all grew up in church like your whole life? Raise your hand. Okay, me too. You just read that verse and you didn't even think twice about that last phrase. Jesus went around healing every disease and every affliction. And y'all catch what, that, what, what the scripture said? He was healing every disease and every affliction. If people were paralyzed, if they encountered Jesus, they got up and walked. That's crazy. If, if people were blind and they encountered Jesus, they saw. That's crazy. People had cancer. He probably... They didn't know what it was back then. I guarantee you, he healed it. And here's the thing. I believe that the reason that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to put that phrase in the Bible, right? Phrase that you and I grew up in church, don't even think twice about. He healed every disease and every affliction. Well, I guess, of course, Jesus said that. I believe that the Holy Spirit put that in the scripture to remind us that Jesus was not just an ordinary man. He was an ordinary man, but he wasn't just an ordinary man. He was God. He was God in the flesh. He's incredibly powerful, right? He's powerful. Would y'all agree with that? He is powerful. 
Walking on water is not easy. I've tried it. It doesn't work. He did it. Now, remember the A.W. Tozer quote. What comes in our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so if all you knew about God was that he's really powerful, if that's the only thing you knew about him, that he's really powerful, you didn't know that he was loving, you didn't know that he was patient, you didn't know he was slow to anger, you didn't know he was compassionate. If all you knew was that he was really, really, really powerful, if you sinned or you failed God, you might be a little afraid, right? Because you might think that he would use that power to take you out. And that's why Matthew gives us the next verse. And so let's read 35 again. Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, <clears throat> excuse me, and healing every disease and every affliction. Look at the next verse, verse 36. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now we're gonna leave that scripture up for just a minute, but those two verses that I read you, I love them because they paint a really, in many ways, comprehensive picture of God. That our God, uh, Matthew is reminding us, um, Jesus Christ, he is a God of incredible power. And at the very same time, Jesus is the God of incredible compassion. Incredible compassion. Now, why do I say, based off that scripture, that he is God of incredible compassion? I want you to look at that phrase. He had compassion for them. That's what this whole sermon about is that phrase. Jesus had compassion for them. Okay, that phrase right there, he had compassion, in uh, the Greek language, what the New Testament was written in, um, is a Greek word, it's, it's, that phrase is one word, and it's spangnidzomahi. That's a spangnidzomahi, big fancy word, okay? So Matthew's writing, he's telling the story of Jesus, and he stops and he says, when Jesus saw this crowd, he saw this crowd of God's people, they were harassed, they were helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and what it produced inside of Jesus was this Greek phrase, spangnidzomahi, okay? Now, the closest English word that we have to Spangnidzomahi is compassion. That's the closest English word we have to that. But the problem with our English word compassion is it just does not convey the depth and the power of Spangnidzomahi. Okay? So let's think about our English word compassion for a second. Um, when you hear the word compassion, what do you think it means? I was thinking about it, and I think when I hear compassion... Um, I think we as Americans think about it as a phrase. Uh, we may not, we may be more than this, but I think most of the time people think about compassion means that we feel bad about something. You know, we feel bad about something. We see something that happens to a person, something difficult or bad, and we genuinely feel sort of bad for them. For example, have you guys ever in your life ever see somebody bomb the national anthem? Like, have you ever seen anybody slaughter it? I have. Um, I'm gonna show you a real quick, about 10 second clip here in a second of somebody bombing the national anthem on television. And uh, when you see it, what happens? You sort of cringe, like, oh, where's that coming from? It's because you genuinely feel bad for the person. You're embarrassed for them. A lot of times I think that's what we think compassion is. I'm gonna show you a clip of uh, 
Carl Lewis, Carl Lewis was a famous sprinter and for some reason he sang the national anthem in a basketball game. I'll show, show this to you real, real fast. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight last gleaming and the rockets Y'all can kill it. Y'all get it. kind of gets worse. And then it hits him that he slaughters it. And so he's like, hey, y'all hang with me. I'm gonna get this right. And so he keeps going and it gets worse. And, and like Michael Jordan's on the sidelines is laughing at him. And, and it's really, really, really bad. And in that moment, you palpably feel bad for the guy. Like you genuinely feel bad for the guy. A lot of people, when they think about compassion, they think that that's what it means. But but that does a, a really bad job of describing what Jesus felt when he saw this crowd of God's people that were harassed and helpless and were like sheep without a shepherd. What the scripture says Jesus felt in that moment was spagnomazy, and it is significantly more powerful than what we feel when someone's bombing the national anthem. That word, spagnomazomahi, means this. It literally means, in the Greek, I looked it up, it means to be moved at the deepest level of your organs. Okay, so go look it up. That's what it means. It means to be deeply and profoundly moved, viscerally at the deepest level of your organs. Okay, now, what does that mean? Have you ever seen something and, and when you saw it, it disturbed you? Like you didn't feel bad about it, but it disturbed you. I have. Have, have you ever seen something and you saw it and it actually made you feel queasy. I have. Okay, that's the meaning of the word. Probably a better translation of spangzidzomahi is not compassion, but more like gut punch. Gut punch. Okay. Matthew is conveying to you and to me that this all-powerful God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, that could heal any disease. When he saw people suffering, it was like somebody punched him in the gut. And that's powerful to me. Okay, profoundly moved Jesus to compassion. I want to give you one more illustration that doesn't require sound. And that is a picture that I think might help you feel what Jesus was feeling. A picture I'm going to show you is a picture that was a very famous picture back in the 1980s during the Ethiopian famine. Let's go ahead and show that picture right now. I just want you to see it. I want you to look at it for a minute. Just leave that up for just a minute. Probably should have warned you if you have kids in here. That There's a, a famine that hit Ethiopia in the 80s. Y'all remember that? I, I was a kid in the 80s. I remember it. That's how big of a deal it was. And I want you to just stop for a half a second. I want you to think what that poor sweet baby is going through right there. The suffering that he's feeling. When you see that, you don't kind of cringe and sort of feel bad about it. It's like a gut punch. It's this feeling that you feel that's a mixture of deep sadness and a little bit of anger mixed in. Y'all with me? I mean, I don't know about you, but I just want to scream at the camera guy. Put down the camera, dude. 
Get rid of the vulture and go help the baby. Amen? That's what Jesus is feeling. It's a depth of feeling that when he saw, y'all can take that down, that when he saw the crowds that were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, it deeply and profoundly moved him. And what's amazing is that Jesus felt it many times in his three years of ministry, and it was typically over just ordinary everyday stuff that we encounter in life, and it's incredibly comforting to me. So there was 10 times in the New Testament Jesus felt this spangnizomahi. They fall in six categories, and so really fast, I'm gonna go through the six, and then we'll kind of apply this today and be done, all right? So here are the six different categories that Jesus was moved to that level of compassion. Number one, Jesus was moved to compassion by people's physical pain and suffering. And so when he, several times throughout the scripture, and this is the healing diseases thing, Jesus would be cruising along, doing his thing. He'd see somebody that was sick or hurting or paralyzed or blind or whatever. And you would see that phrase, he was moved to compassion. Spagin and Zomahi, it's like somebody punched him in the gut and he'd heal him. Second, number two, Jesus was moved to compassion by people's sorrow. Jesus was moved to compassion by people's sorrow. One day there was a, Jesus walking along, he saw a widow who was at the end of a funeral procession because her son had died. Now back in the day, if you were a widow, uh, it was very, very difficult to make a living because you were a woman in that society. And so it hits Jesus in that moment that not only has she lost her husband, but now she's lost her son. And the scripture says that Jesus was moved to compassion by seeing that widow. It absolutely broke his heart. And, you know, something hit me as I was reading that story, studying for this. I want you to stop and think about what that says about the character of our God. He sees a widow that's suffering and it's like somebody punches him in the gut and so he heals her son and raises him from the dead. And think about what that says about the character of our God because Jesus is God in the flesh. I mean, when Jesus, here, here it is. When Jesus saw us experiencing earthly sorrow, specifically over death, he didn't think to himself, well, if you wouldn't have sinned back in the garden, none of this would happen. But he was moved to compassion. He healed that guy. I love that. Number three, Jesus was moved to compassion by people's everyday physical needs. The stuff that we don't even bother ourselves worrying about other people, Jesus was deeply impacted by it. Uh, Matthew 15, 32. Uh, you've heard this story a million times, feeding of 5,000, but I bet you never paid any attention to the first three words that Jesus said. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. Spain, Zomahi. He just looked at his disciples and was like, man, I'm seeing the crowds and it is messing me up. Why? He said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. You ever seen a homeless person begging for food? I have. What does it make you feel? I mean, you sort of feel bad for them. Maybe give them a few bucks, right? When Jesus saw people that were hungry and needed food, it messed him up. 
deeply hurt him. Number four, this is a great story. Jesus was moved to compassion by people's loneliness. Jesus, that moved him when he saw people that were lonely and ostracized, it moved his heart. There's a story of this guy that uh, had leprosy. Now the problem with leprosy back in the day is that it made you an instant outcast. Why? Because everybody thought it was contagious. Okay, think about it. Everybody thought you could catch it, okay? And so it was, a, it was actually, I didn't know this till this week, it was actually against the law for a leper to touch someone or for you to touch a leper. It was against the law because they thought it was contagious. So if a leper would walk, was walking down the street, he had to announce himself, hey everybody, I got leprosy. And then everybody would just move out of the way. What do you think that guy felt like on a daily basis? I'd probably say he felt pretty lonely. Y'all with me? Well, Jesus saw this guy one day. Guy was walking down the street, letting everybody know he's got leprosy. They're, the people were doing what you and I did during COVID and somebody coughed. They're just kind of doing like that, you know, moving back. And this guy with leprosy walks right up to Jesus and Jesus doesn't get out of the way, doesn't move, doesn't, doesn't put his hands up. Jesus just stands there and lets the guy walk right up to him. I guarantee you that had everybody's attention. The guy looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. <laughs> this is one of the coolest parts of the Bible. It says that Jesus reached out and touched him. Touched him. And he healed him. But if you go read the text, right before he touched him, it says he was moved to compassion. Number five, Jesus was moved to compassion by the suffering of sin. The other time that you see it is in the story of the prodigal son. If you've been in church a while, you know the story. It's, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I want to go to the faraway land. Leave. I don't want to be with you. Young man gets his inheritance, completely betrays his father, goes to the faraway land, sins like crazy, wastes his money, finds himself in a famine, has no money left, comes to his senses, says, you know what? This is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I need to go home to my father, but there's no way my father's ever going to forgive me and receive me back into my family. And as, he, as he's going home, the scripture says, who, by the way, the father represents God, Scripture says that while the son was still a long way off, when the father saw him, he had compassion on him. And he took off and ran towards the son and embraced him and welcomed him home. I'm gonna read that quote to you one more time. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's true, guys, it is true. And I, oh, there's so many people walking around. They have the wrong view of God. They have an unbiblical view of God. There's so many liberal Christians that think God is loving, but they don't think he has power. There's, there's so many fundamentalist Christians that think God's powerful, but they don't realize he is loving. But when you actually read the words of this book that I am holding in my hand over and over again, you see two realities that our God is incredibly, immensely powerful and he is incredibly and immensely loving and compassionate. It's amazing. But there's one other thing I wanna show you today. There's one other thing. And I want you to hear this. This is, this is kind of the, how I'm applying this concept today and it's this, that every single time, every single time, 
that Jesus was moved to that level of compassion, he immediately did something about it. Every time. Every single time in the scripture that you see Jesus gut punched about some need or some pain or some suffering or some loneliness and the scripture says he was moved to compassion, the very next thing Jesus immediately himself does something about it. When he saw a sick person, it moved moved into compassion. He immediately healed them. And let me say this, the stuff that he did after he was moved to compassion was pretty radical. I'm not very good, uh, I'm one of these preachers that's not very good at catchy phrases. I've always been jealous of pastors that come up with catchy phrases, but I came up with one this week. Y'all ready for it? When it came to Jesus, Biblical compassion always led to radical action. Y'all like that? There you go. You'll remember that. Now, I mean, I'm so bad at that. Biblical compassion for Jesus, biblical compassion always led to radical action every time. Okay, saw the sick person, moved to compassion, heals them. That's radical. Jesus healed the unhealable. When, when Jesus saw the grieving mother, moved to compassion raises her son back to life. That is radical. Jesus raised the unraisable. Um, When he saw a lonely, ostracized leper, moved to compassion, he healed him. That is radical. Compassion caused Jesus to touch the untouchable. When Jesus saw a repentant son returning from the faraway land of sin, when he saw repentance of sin, he was moved to compassion and he ran to him and forgave him. That is radical. Compassion caused Jesus to forgive the unforgivable. Every single time Jesus was moved to compassion, it always resulted in radical action. Every time but one time. Did you know that? It was one time out of the 10 that Jesus was deeply moved to compassion. And in this one instance, scripture says he was moved to compassion, but he personally didn't do anything. And I'm gonna show you why. Let's look at Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Okay, so Jesus looks at the crowds. He, He sees that they're helpless. He sees that they're harassed. He sees they're like sheep without a shepherd and we get that spangnid zomahi. It bothered him deeply. It's like somebody punched him in the gut. Now, watch what he says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It hit me that that was a, that statement was a direct shot at the Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. What were they supposed to be doing? Supposed to be helping people, pointing people to Almighty God, to Yahweh. That was their thing. That was their job, to to know the law that pointed people to God. But instead, what were they doing? When God's people were trapped in the chains of sin, the Pharisees didn't point them to the grace of God, but they crushed them with guilt and shame. When God's people were weary and tired and broken, The Pharisees did not point them to the peace of God, but they further weighed them down with the burden of the law. And that messed Jesus up. He did not like it. And so when he saw the crowds helpless, harassed like sheep without a shepherd, it broke his heart. Now, since Jesus was just 
moved to compassion since Jesus was just moved to Spain at Zomahi, what do you think he's gonna do? As I was reading this and study for this, I just assumed that he would do what he always did. And when he was moved to compassion is that he would immediately go do something about it. But this time, and it's the only time this happens, it's really interesting, it's the only time it happens that it says that Jesus was moved to Spengnizomahi, that he didn't do anything. So what did he do? What happened? Let's read it, Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Isn't that interesting? I've heard those verses a thousand times. I've never seen it connected to the fact that Jesus just had deep compassion on crowds of people that were suffering and that was his response. I never saw that before until this week. Here's the thing. Every single solitary time Jesus was moved to compassion, he immediately did something about it, but this time, and it's the only time it happens, when Jesus was moved to compassion, he turns to the disciples immediately, turns to the disciples and said, boys, I want you to go do something about it. It's the only time. He looks at the men that he had raised up and he said, gentlemen, I want you to go do something about it. What did he tell them to do? Let's read it, Matthew 9, 38. This is what he told them to do. He said, therefore, I want you to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. It's just fascinating to me. Jesus is deeply, profoundly moved to compassion because these crowds were harassed and helpless. And instead of him doing something himself, what he's done every other time, he turns to the disciples and he said, boys, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. But here's what I want you to pray. When you see that kind of suffering, when you see the things that move my heart to compassion, I want you to pray that God would raise up laborers to go do something about that need that just moved me to compassion. Now, at first glance, the temptation is to think that it looks like Jesus is saying to them and to us that if we see something out there in the world that, that would have broken Jesus' heart, that if we see something that would have moved him to compassion, suffering, sin, loneliness, that it, the temptations think that Jesus is simply saying, well, I gotta do is pray. Pray that God would raise somebody up to go deal with that thing that moved Jesus to compassion. But there's something really interesting that happens in the very next verse. So let's look at uh, Matthew 9, 38. Matthew 9, 38 is therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, boys. I just got moved to compassion. I need you to take care of it. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Now, again, you might be thinking that's all we gotta do is pray that God would raise someone else to go deal with it. But do you know what the very next verse is? I bet you've never connected Matthew chapter 10, verse one to Matthew chapter nine, verse 38. And you know how I know you probably haven't? 
Well, some of y'all have because y'all know the Bible better than me, but the reason I never have, I've never done it. I never, I never stopped to think, what is the very next thing in the scripture? Because in my Bible, I've got my hands like we've got chapters and verses in the original language. There was no chapters and verses. It was all just one big flowing thing. Matthew 10, 1 is connected to Matthew 9, 38. So I'm gonna read them again quickly. Therefore, Jesus says, I need you to do this. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Look at verse 10, 1, very next verse, it says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then the very, like three or four verses later, after Jesus said, hey, come here, I'm gonna give you power. And then he sent them out into the harvest to do the work that he'd called them and us to do. So here's what's going on. Jesus saw the crowds of people, harassed and helpless. It deeply moved him to compassion. Instead of doing something himself, he told the disciples, I want you to pray that God would raise up laborers to do something about it. He immediately gave them power and then he sent them out to engage the stuff that moved him to compassion. So what Jesus is teaching here, hang with me, I'm almost done, hang with me, got a couple more minutes here. What Jesus is teaching us here is that a disciple of Jesus, when you encounter something that, that moved Jesus to compassion, out there in the world, in your life, in this room, outside this room, when you encounter something that moved Jesus to compassion, when you see a need, when you see brokenness, when you see loneliness, when you see suffering, when you see people mired in sin, Jesus said, first thing you need to do is you need to pray you need to pray, but Jesus is saying that your reaction in that moment when you see that stuff is, should not be to pray, God, would you please raise up someone else to do something about that? What Jesus' point here is he's saying, when you see something out there that moved me to compassion, you should pray in that moment, God, would you raise me up to do something about that thing that moved you? To compassion. It's the whole point. And, and that's pretty radical. A lot of people won't pray that prayer. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of need, a lot of hurt, and a lot of suffering, a lot of sin out there. It's super easy to say, God raise somebody up to do it. It's not quite as easy to say, God, would you raise me up to do something about it? I'm gonna fly through this because we're running out of time. But the very next thing the scripture says, if you actually look at uh, what Jesus actually said, it's more radical than you could ever imagine. Jesus said, boys, I want you to pray earnestly. We don't pay attention to that word earnestly. When we hear earnestly, we just think he's saying pray hard. That's not what it means. The word earnestly in the original language, check this out, it means to, it means to beg it means to beg, and not only just to beg, but it, it's like you're begging for something like you are begging for your own need. And so Jesus is literally saying, hey, when you see a need out there that moved my heart to compassion, your first response is, God, raise me up. Please, God, please raise me up to give me the power. Oh yeah, God, you already gave me the power. I already got the power, so God, raise me up to do something about it. Super easy when you have a need, when you're suffering, when you have troubles, it's easy to beg God to meet your need. It's a little bit harder when you see suffering, when you see pain, and when you see sin, to beg God, raise me up 
to be a solution to that stuff. I'll end with this. I uh, spent some time last week with a guy that just really impressed me. He was a, just a regular business guy. Um, African-American, wonderful, wonderful man of God, brilliant. He's VP of his company, and we were just talking, hanging out. And he kept saying this phrase, like when he was talking about what he was doing with his church and what he was doing with his employees and what he was doing in the world and how God was using him. He kept saying this phrase, and I never heard it before. He said, he said you know, after I put my yes on the table, God showed me dot, 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 and I, that's what I did. And then he said it again. He goes, yeah, it was after I put my yes on the table that God showed me and I, I went and cared for my employees and pointed them to Christ. Yeah, after I put my yes on the table, finally about the fourth time he said it, I said, man, you keep saying that phrase. What does that mean? Put your yes on the table for God. And here's what he said. He said, Matt, there was a moment in my life where I told Jesus that whatever you call me to, my answer is yes. My answer is yes before you ever even call me to anything. I put my yes on the table. And then it said, I just prayed and watched that God would show me what he needed me to do. And then when I saw it, I didn't have to pray about it anymore because my answer was already yes. I love that. I love that. Jesus is telling us, pray. Ask God, beg God that he would raise you up to be a person that engaged the stuff that broke his heart. But I'm wondering if today, if you'd go ahead and just put that yes on the table, that's a dangerous prayer, but it's a good one. It's a good one.